0: Good morning, Redemption. Good morning. My name is Warren, one of the pastors here. Glad to be with you as we continue on in our series in Colossians. And I just want to start off by just saying happy Memorial Day. And we as a church, we are so grateful for the people who have served their country and given their lives and service to our country. So happy Memorial Day. Thank you. All right. So as many of you guys know, my wife is Jordan. Um, we met here in Redemption about six years ago and been married for five And maybe like year one or two after our wedding, I was looking through my closet, right? And so I'm looking at my closet and I came upon my wedding suit and I was like, man, I remember how much fun I had on my wedding day. I had this beautiful blue suit with the vest and the red shirt and the blue slacks. That has nothing to do, but you guys got to get it. You know, you got to get the image. Um, I got it from Nick's Men's Wear in Chandler. And paid a a, a pretty penny for it. And so I was looking at it, and I was thinking, man, I I had a guy in my wedding party who had worn that suit probably like 20 times since our wedding. To the point I was like, hey, bro, like that was a special day. Like wear that with some intention because, you know, it wasn't just any normal day. And uh, I really couldn't tell him what to do because he paid for it. So, Um, but you know what? He was onto something that I I was like, you know what? I, I should probably take him up on that because I had only worn that suit once. And I was like, man, like, I don't have a ton of suits. I don't have a lot of formal wear. I'm kind of like a streetwear guy. What you see here is what you get. And so uh, I was like, all right, next, next big event, next formal event, I am wearing this suit. I will get more usage out of this thing. All right, so a month or so later, the event came. I think it was like a friend's wedding or something. And so I'm like, all right, here we go. So I lay out the suit on my bed the night before. I got all the parts there, and I start with the slacks, right? And so I go to the slacks, I start putting them up, and I notice it started getting caught on my calves. And I was like, you know, I have been working out recently, so, if, you know, that, that, that makes sense. But, but I, I kept trying to pull them up, and as I was pulling them up, I kept hearing a shh, 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 And I was like, did I step on something or something? No, I knew what that was. I knew what had happened is my waistline had expanded, ever since being married, right? I, I, I soon remembered that when I got married, I was like 160 pounds. I was shaped like a lollipop, like big head, skinny body. And, you know, I could fit a suit that size. And so as time has gone on and, you know, I've grown in wisdom and stature and, you know, put on some healthy, in love weight, that suit didn't, didn't fit me anymore. There was a new suit that I had to turn to For that event. That as much as I wanted to fit into those old clothes, it just didn't fit the the present shape of my reality. And so it had to be put off. It had to go. And I think that's a helpful image for us today as we dive into our passage. Because the question we're going to be exploring today is what are the old ways? What are the old clothes that we used to wear prior to knowing and walking with Jesus? And what are the new clothes? What's the new life that we need to put on given the reality of our union with him. So that's what we're going to be exploring today. But before we do that, would you join me in prayer? God, we uh, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you that once again we are gathered together as your people, being shaped and formed by your word. Lord, I pray that you would open our minds now to receive, what you would have us to hear, God. Open our hearts, our ears, God, and our eyes to see you, God. And let us walk out of here, Lord, more like you, more like your son in Jesus. Fill our time today. Spirit of God, move in your name. Amen. And so we're going to start in Colossians 3, verse 5, and it says this. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, And so at the heart of the first part of our passage, what we see is that as God's people, we are called to put off our old self, to put off our old self. And so last week, my boy John Slim Shady Crawford was up here, and he was preaching the opening verses of this chapter, of chapter three, right? He was kind of trying to draw us in as Paul was trying to draw the Colossian church into this reality that their lives were now hidden in Christ, that Christ was the black box that was keeping them secure, come what may. And this is a reality, right, that we who are in union, who, who walk with Jesus, this is our reality too. And this reality is not just something that's supposed to fill our minds with fuzzy, warm thoughts. It actually calls for a life change. It actually calls and implicates how we live our everyday lives. How do we interact and respond To the world around us. See, there are things from our old life prior to knowing Jesus that are no longer compatible with our new identity in Him. And so today we're going to be looking at a number of lists, right? And what I always want to say about lists in scripture is what we don't want to do is treat them like a scorecard right, of saying, all right, how well am I doing on the list and kind of trying to measure our salvation or measure how God is looking at us us based on how well we're doing on the list, right? Paul doesn't want the Colossians to do that, and we don't need to do that today. The lists are not to finish the work of Christ. We don't do anything to finish the work of Christ. It's already finished. What we're looking at today is how do we respond to Christ's finished work, right? We are saved by grace, not by our performance. And so uh, what do we do? We put off sin. We put off sin. We put off sin to respond to what Christ has done. And we're called to do this, not just as individuals, right? We often have the temptation to read these things as individuals, but as a community, we are called to put off the sin that leads to death. And there are some familiar ones on that list. There are things like sexual immorality, right? Uh, Sexual expression outside the boundaries of marriage between husband and wife. There's malice the desire to do evil towards someone, There's slander, lying about someone to ruin their reputation. And he even mentions things on that list, like when he's talking about the barbarian and the Scythian, he's saying that there are ways that we try to divide and elevate ourselves against one another based on those societal or racial or class factors instead of treating each other as made in the image of God. And what Paul says is that on account of these sins, on account of these sins that lead to death, the wrath of God is coming. The Wrath of God is coming. Right, when we experience events like we just did this week, we understand the wrath of God. We cry out for it. We cry out for God, whose wrath is not motivated by just being irrationally angry, but motivated by love, right? Motivated by not being a father who just sits back forever and watches his kids be crushed by the effects of sin. Right? These sins that we're talking about today, it's not just an individual experience. What they do is they come in and they contaminate a community. Right? The, 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 the stories that we gawk at at the news and say, oh, how can someone do that? These are the starting places for some of the worst things that we experience. And these sins, they don't need to, they, they don't, we, we, we don't need to, to, we have to put them off, right? They don't fit with who we are, given our new identity in Christ. It doesn't make sense for us to live in our old life anymore. It's kind of like when I moved here uh, from New York, right? There were some things I had to embrace living in Arizona if I wanted to survive here. There were, uh, early on, a couple of years ago, I had this issue with my kidneys because uh, I wasn't drinking enough water, and so the doctor was like, hey, you have to carry a hydro flask everywhere and keep it full. Even if you leave it at church 20 times, go out and buy it again, and you need to walk with water because you're in a new environment. You live in Arizona. It's a desert, right? Bang, energy drinks and coffee is not going to do it anymore. I had, to, I had to change my, 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 my water intake. I had to increase it. In New York, right, I would just go out in the middle of July and grab my car uh, door handle and sit down and touch the steering wheel and be on my merry way. You guys are laughing because you know you can't do that here in the middle of July. You're going to experience some serious burns, right? It calls for a change in behavior and even how you get into your car. In New York, I was a... I was a all-star jaywalker, right? I would be in the middle of the street. It's like, that don't walk and walk sign might as well just be a decoration because we weren't paying attention to that. And so I remember one of my first arguments with Jordan was uh, we were in downtown Phoenix. I was on a date and I was just feeling myself. And I'm like, I know how to do this city thing, babe. And so I was like crossing the street. The light was saying, don't go. And she was like, brother, hold on, hold on. Right? This is, you're not in New York anymore. All right? These people, they don't know how to deal with pedestrians. All right? Like, if you think you're going to jaywalk and survive, we're not going to be together for long because you're going to be in pieces. Right? I I couldn't live like that anymore. I couldn't live like I was in New York, given the reality that I'm here in Arizona. I didn't have to give up... um, Uh, expecting bad outcomes from my basketball team. Anyway, um, I'm I'm done. 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 I'm I'm sorry, guys. I just uh, had to do that one. Forgive me. Hey, we're going to talk about putting on forgiveness today, all right, guys? Come on. But But here's the deal. It doesn't make sense for you to live in that old way, given your new environment, right? And church, in the same way that doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense for you to live in your old way of living, giving the new reality that you have in Christ. You've been moved from the kingdom of darkness and death to life, right? And so that requires some new moves. It requires you to take off the anger, take off the slander, take off the wrath. You out of pocket, man. That was a Kendrick Lamar reference. I just went over here, but it's all right. It's all right. These sins that are listed here, right, we're familiar with them. We've seen them before. If we're being honest, they're like a a roll call of sorts, right? You kind of can point to your name on the list. There I go. Lying. There I go. slander. There I go. Anger. And the problem is not us recognizing our sin. I think we all recognize that we struggle with sin. We have some struggle with sin, Right? But our problem often is our response to that recognition. Because what we do is is instead of adopting a mindset of putting off and putting to death, we adopt this mindset of, how do I put up with this? How do I manage the sin that's in my life? And so instead of putting off anger, what happens is, hey, you know what? I'm just going to make sure no one sees me be angry. I'm just going to make sure I keep it inside and allow bitterness and resentment and coldness to grow inside me as long as no one sees my anger. Instead of putting off an addiction to pornography, we'll say, you know, I'm just going to make sure I clear the browser, I clear the history. And as long as I limit the amount of times that I do it and no one finds out, we're good. Instead of putting off feelings of prejudice, We'll say, hey, you know what, as long as I put my best face forward and I just kind of live a life separated from people that's not like me, we're good. And Jesus isn't saying, settle for putting up with your sin. He's saying, don't accommodate your sin. Put it to death. Put it to death. And what often our response with our ideas of sin management is, you know what? I've struggled with this thing for so long. It's been my struggle all my life. Warren, you don't know how I was raised. You don't know how long this thing is. It's been a part of my life and it's always gonna be that way. And here's what I would say. You would say something like, hey, nobody expects me to be freed from this. You really can't expect me to be freed from this struggle. And here's what I would say to that. Something else that nobody expected was Easter. No one expected Easter. No one expected that Jesus would meet death in its face, and defeat it. And I say that to say, because what the Spirit of God did in raising dead Jesus from the tomb is exactly what he wants to do in raising you from the tomb of your sin. He wants to bring you into new life. He wants to bring you into transformation to look, to walk, and talk like him. And so when it comes to your sin, don't hide it, don't hold it, don't dress it up, don't dwell on it, put it to death. And if you're wondering, okay, how do I do that? I think a lot of these things are best worked out in community. Come and find us, we'll love to talk and walk with you towards putting off your sin. The sacrifice of Jesus that, that, that we know that has changed our life. It's, it wasn't just meant to grant us forgiveness. A lot of us know we've been granted forgiveness and then we stop there, right? Jesus wants to transform us. He's taken us somewhere, right? And so he's gonna give us what we need to put off that old life, to walk in his way, to walk like he did. So we need the person of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus growing us into his image just as much as we need as we needed the the blood that initially granted us forgiveness so that we can put off our old self, so that we can truly put it to death. Amen? But here's the thing. Paul doesn't stop there. There's a new life for us to put on. It's not about what we don't do, but our our faith is about where are we going? What are we to do? And so as we continue in our passage, Paul's going to tell us, what the life, the new life, looks like. Continue with me in verses 12 through 15. It says this, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, excuse me, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Amen. Amen. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. There's a new life for us to put on. Jesus calls us to put on a new life as God's chosen people. And see, here's the reality, right? When you've turned from your sin, when you've turned away from your sin, there's a direction you need to turn. There's another direction you need to turn to. If you don't find, when you've put aside the old clothes, when my suit didn't fit anymore, I didn't show up to that wedding in my birthday suit. I needed to find some new clothes. I needed to find a new way to live, right? And in the same way, if you don't know the life you're called to put on, what you're going to do is return back to the life that you know. Yeah. Yeah. So God has a life for us to walk in. There's an identity for us to walk into, and you're stepping into an identity that's marked by kindness, it's marked by humility, counting others more than yourself. It's marked by forgiveness, patience, not letting our lives be ruled by hurry, trampling over people as we go. There's a life that we're called to, we're called to love be bound together as one body, being thankful. And here's the thing, right? We got to remember, again, when Paul's writing this letter, he's not writing the letter to one dude named, like, Colin or something. It's written to a community. And what he's saying that as a community, we don't just put this on as individuals, but we put this life on as a community. We look like a community that reflects these things, that reflects the, that God is on a mission of transformation. Because what happens is our vertical right relationship with God as individuals, right? The fact that God has saved us, that has horizontal realities. We can't love God and then just hate people made in his image. And so we, we, we put on this, this new life, and it testifies to the fact that there is this new family. There is this new humanity that's alive in Christ, that's trusting him to be able to put on this life that reflects him. And it changes everything. It changes the way we interact and respond to the world. We walk differently. We talk differently. We we respond completely in this new and beautiful way. It kind of reminds me... um, of those uh, movie montages uh, in like early 90s, or maybe like mid-90s, early 2000s movies. Like, I'm talking like cultural classics, like The Devil Wears Prada and Legally Blonde and Dumb and Dumber. And um, dang, somebody really loves Legally Blonde. Okay, here we go. Um, So you, you always have in those movies, right? There's this montage where the main is in like a mall or a boutique or something, and the music's playing and their friends are there, and they're trying on all these different outfits, right? And the friends are like, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, no, no, but But, but eventually, right, like they land on the outfit, right? And the, the character, they walk out of that mall and boutique and they're just like, I said swaggerific in the last service, and people said, never say that again. And so you get, you get the point. They're like lit. I think that's more up to date. But... They, they, they're walking in this brand new, beautiful way, right? They're responding in the, to the world around them in confidence, in a new character that they've never had before. Right? The, the, the makeover completely changes them, and then the movie ends, right? Never. The movie never ends there. Each time in a movie like that, after there's a makeover, there's some point where the character either confronts someone in their past or some sort of situation that's like a challenge to the makeover. Right? They're challenged and the challenge feels like, hey, that makeover that you experience is not actually representing authentically who you are. Right? And they reject the makeover because it doesn't feel authentic. You know, as I was thinking about this passage today, I was like, well, I can expound on what love is and what patience is and what humility is, but honestly, guys, I don't feel like that's our problem. I don't feel like we have a problem with definitions. I think it's more of the expression of these things. I think it's more of like, why do passages like this in Scripture feel optional? Why does it feel like, you know what? Yeah, I could be kind, but you know, not like that. That's not me. Why does it feel like, yeah, you know, it would be ideal if I was a patient person? Yeah, that would be nice, God. You're right. right. But it doesn't feel like a command. It doesn't feel like something that we are called or we are striving very often to walk in. And so my question is, why do we reject the makeover? Why do we reject the makeover? And I think we often reject the makeover that Christ wants to bring about in us because it often doesn't feel like an authentic expression of who we are. I'll, I'll be online, I'll be on Twitter, which is probably not the best place for anyone. I'll be there, and right before two Christians are about to slug it out on their keyboards, right, you'll see someone say something like, you know what, I'm just about to be real about this. I just gotta be real about this. And you know when someone says that, some wild sin's about to follow. Right, it's like back in the day uh, when somebody would like diss you, your family, your your whole life, and they would say no offense, and you'd be like, well, you know what, you're right, you know, you said no offense. Uh, I guess gotta excuse this, you know. (laughs) That's what. uh, Let's be real about this. It feels like it's this. It's just this excuse that's supposed to cover up our sin. And what gets me about that is it feels like the impression you get from that is. What's real is the life that we're called to put off. And what's fake, right, is the life that God is calling us to actually walk in. Right? It feels like being kind. And very often, when we're met by kind people, there's some suspicion, there's some cynicism. Are you really like that? Right? And we question authenticity. And so, here's what I would say about that. Authenticity doesn't start with you. It starts with the God who created you. Authenticity doesn't start with you. It starts with the God who created you and created us, and how we're supposed to interact and live in a way that's flourishing, allows us to flourish as humanity. An author I follow, he says it like this, God does want you to be the real you. He does want you to be true to yourself, but the you he's talking about is the you that you are by grace, not by nature. By grace, not by nature. Someone asked me to make a naughty by nature joke earlier, and I was like, no, no one knows, no one even knows who that is anymore, man. It's like that's like so old, like, you know. By grace, not by nature. You see, throughout the letter of Colossians, Paul has been calling us to behold Jesus. He's opened up the book, with just telling us, hey, look at Jesus, look at who he is, and uh uh uh. Look at what he's done and set your eyes on Christ. Set your eyes on him, on the bigness of who he is. And the thing is, guys, as we follow Jesus, we are following the most authentically real human being that has ever lived. Right? He is the one that that, that is leading humanity into this new phase into eternity, into their most authentic, complete expression. It looks like him. Earlier in Colossians, Paul said that he is the firstborn of the new creation. And so before Iggy Azalea said it in that song all those years ago, Jesus said, first things first, I'm the realist. (laughs) First things first, I'm the realist. You are not realer than Jesus. And so if you want to be real, if you want to be authentic, if you want to be who God created you to be, it doesn't look like you figuring that out on your own. It looks like becoming an imitation of Christ. We put on his love. We put on his humility. We let him be the ruler of what's real, not ourselves. And we trust that his grace is going to empower us to live in this new and beautiful way that declares that the old, inauthentic, fake, shallow way of living is dead and that there is a new, alive people where people could be fully complete human beings, that new humanity is alive in him. And so that clo- the, the, the new clothes that he has us to put on, when you wear a new outfit, it's often a conversation starter, and that's the same way that we can live, right? The life that we put on could be a conversation starter to the kingdom of God. When people, when people ask, hey, why do you live this way? There's an opportunity there to tell them about the designer, tell them about what he is like. You know, I was thinking about this and it was like, could it be that the the division, the angst, the anger that we've experienced for like the last, I don't know, half a decade, feels like, or maybe even longer, could it be that so much of that comes from because our world is trying to give a definition to authenticity? Our world's trying to tell, f- fill what's real with all of their definitions, and they're just falling short. That definition comes from God. And so my question for you is, where do you need to get real in your life? Who do you need to be reeled with this week, given our new definition? How can we be a community of real ones? Mm. Thanks, Vic. Jesus calls us to put on our new self, amen? So we are gonna move now into our final part of our passage and we're gonna see what's the attitude, what's the posture that allows us to live in the new and beautiful way, to put off the old self and put on the new self. Let's see what Paul says in verses 16 and 17. It says this, "'Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with a thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so as we put off the old self, put on the new self, the way that we do this is remembering what we received in Christ, allowing that to lead us to live in thankfulness and gratitude. So we put in the word of Christ, we allow him to put in the truth of who we are, who he is, who we are in him into our daily lives. And so, again, we've talked a lot today about putting off. We've talked about putting on. And, you know, how do we maintain an attitude? How do we maintain a posture that allows this to continue to happen in our daily lives? And what Paul says is, let thankfulness saturate your life. Let thankfulness Let let, let yourself be immersed in thankfulness. Thankfulness that just doesn't come from like, oh, you know, I feel good about today. It comes from a concrete reality, who you are, who God is, what he's done for us. It comes from receiving his word, allowing his word to dwell within us. Immersing ourselves in this truth in a variety of ways, in songs and in psalms and in speaking the truth to one another and allowing the reality that he has, allowing that to be the biggest thing that shapes us before any sort of podcaster or cultural influence or anything else. Allowing the word of Christ to shape our hearts towards thankfulness, move us towards thankfulness in everything that we do. He says in whatever you do, and the way you send that email, and the way you spend time with your friends and family and vacation and uh, play basketball and get crossed over and everything, let it all be done in thankfulness, remembering what you've received in Christ. Let your life be shaped by gratitude. You know, for me, sometimes it feels hard to put on thankfulness. I'm being honest, sometimes I really fail at this. And I, I, I think I know the truth of who God is. I know what he's done. And I know what he says about me and who I am in him. But sometimes just the, the truth, the bigness of the gospel kind of just feels like, ah, it's just, it's like a, a suit that's too big for me to ever really like fit into. I think about how often I miss the market. I'm like, God, are you really doing something in me? Right, it feels like, yeah, the gospel is just this suit too too big. And what I what I get, what, what happens to me in that moment is I get very pessimistic. I get very cynical about the world around me instead of living in thankfulness. So when I'm feeling like that, I feel like we're back at square one. I'm back at a suit that doesn't fit me again. Kind of reminds me when I was younger, I used to go to a church where you had to dress to the nines every week full suit every week. Like, imagine what, like, Will Gantt wears when he's up here, like, like that. And you know what? As I got into my teen years, I, I, I was like, you know what? I'm tired of, like, looking like a little boy. Like, I want to dress like an older guy. I want to look like a man. I want to look like the older men in my church. And so I was like, I, I need to put on a suit. The problem is I didn't have any suits. I didn't have any money. And so all I could do in that time was go to my dad's closet and I looked through my dad's closet and these weren't the days of H&M and all these places like he had some suits and they were huge. Right. They were like I would put on the suit and the, the shirt would be out here and the pants would be dragging underneath my feet and the jacket would look like I don't even know what to describe that. It looked crazy, you know, and, and, and I would put it on. But, it, you know, what? as I think back to that time, I don't remember myself ever feeling like you look ridiculous. I don't remember myself ever feeling like, why are you doing this? Come on, dude. You know, this doesn't fit you. I was just happy to like, want to look like my dad. I was just happy that he would allow me to wear his clothes. You know, and as my dad, as he looked at me, he never said, son, take that off. You look ridiculous. You have no business wearing that. No, he was just happy that I wanted to look like him, right? He was happy. And he knew that I would grow into those clothes eventually. It wouldn't always look like how it looked then. I've since bypassed them, So there you go, dad. Right. Furthermore, my dad would do what he, what he could to help me to grow in stature and wisdom and all of it. He would, he would sacrifice himself to help me to grow, to help it be a suit that fits. And I say that to say this. Some of you today, you have a hard time putting on thankfulness. You have a hard time living in this posture of thankfulness because you haven't come to grips with how your father sees you. You haven't come to grips with the love that he has for you. You know, it's it's totally understandable when you're far from God. If you feel far from God, as you wonder, as you get closer, what is he going to be like? Is he going to have a frown on his face for all the ways I've messed up? But the truth is, as you get closer to God, you'll see a smile on his face. You'll experience the beauty of his kindness. As you get closer to God, you're not going to find a father with his fist clenched, ready to knock you out. You're going to find a father like he described the father and the prodigal son with his arms outstretched, ready to welcome you in. The Father is inviting you today to receive the love that he has for you. Receive that love. You see, we aren't people that are just wandering this earth aimlessly. Wandering here and there, hey, what is my life going to be? Is my future secure? No. You have a home. And the Father loves us as his children, as sons and daughters. He loves us one and he loves us all. Right, we, we, we often speak in this way, this kind of worldly idea of like, hey, you know, I just got to find my way in life. The truth is that's, that's probably only 25% of it because the way has been made for you. You just need to walk in it. You just need to walk in it. You are related to the God of the universe. And right? if you miss this, you miss everything. If you miss this, you miss everything, then it is hard to live in thankfulness, right? Because all these things that we're doing, we kind of measure ourselves against them, right? But when we know that we are related to God, that's an anchoring for your soul like nothing else can provide. Anchored in the security of our relatedness to God. See, while sin is a suit, That will never fit us. It's too tight. It's that wedding suit that I could never wear again. The suit of the gospel is one that your father's going to grow you into. It will fit. He has taken us to glory. And when we are, when he's revealed in glory and we with him, there won't be someone there like, Hey, that guy looks like he doesn't belong. That girl looks like she doesn't belong. No, your father will grow you into the suit and you will be revealed in glory. This is where the life of thankfulness comes from, right? When this is your controlling reality, it changes everything. When you live into the truth, your identity that you are a son or daughter of the king of the universe changes everything. As you look around at the news and you see all the horrific things that are happening, the prices of things going up. Listen, you don't have to worry about your future. It is secure. Your union with Christ is secure no matter what happens to the economy. You have an identity to live from, an identity rooted by the fact that you are loved by God. And when you get that, it overflows into the rest of your life. Then, like we often say here, all of life can be lived all for him. You can be thankful because you've received something greater than anything else the world could ever give you, and it can never take it away from you. Here's a a summation of the gospel recently that I heard that personally led me to thankfulness, and I hope it leads you. The God we serve refuses to be without us. God refuses to be without us. That's the heart of the Father. That's the love of the Father leading us to lives of thankfulness. Amen? Amen. So we're going to transition to the table now. And as we come to the table today, we remember the greatest picture of our Father's love, right, the sending of his Son to the cross. And in Jesus' body given and his blood shed, right, he, God invites us, God invited us into his family so that we can be with him, so that we can experience these new identities founded, rooted, grounded in him. And so as we, as we move into our, our, our communion and to worship, I would say this, as you come to this table this morning, come with hearts of thanksgiving. Come remembering what you've received, right, And as we move into worship, let's sing out loud in adoration for our Father, our Heavenly Father, who refuses to be without us. So I'll pray now, and I'll close this out, and as the Spirit leads, respond. God, we thank you, Lord. We Thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for the new identity that we have in you, God. Sons and daughters of the King, I call to live all of life, all for you, Lord, where cynicism and pessimism and uh, just uh, the maybe bitterness has gotten the best of us, God. Reshape our hearts, Lord. Help us to remember what we've received in you, God. Allow that, Lord, to, uh, to help us to lead lives of thankfulness in everything that we do, in word and in deed, Lord. God, allow us to be your representatives in the different areas of life that you've put us, God, testifying that there is a new humanity alive in you, Jesus. We thank you for your word today. Amen.